Welcome, Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. I hope my guest knew my show was called that. Um, standing by to join me is Eve Rodsky. She's going to share details on her latest book, Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I heard about you on Instagram and I was checking you out and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see if she'd be interested and has time. So great. Of course. And uh, we're on the same time zone. So that's always easier. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. How did you um, get to where you are now? Let's back way up. Like, what is your background? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I'll say that I feel like this part of my career, everything started eight years ago um, with a text my husband sent me that just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. <laughs> and um, that changed my life. It just changed my entire life. Uh, it's one of those days you can picture the scene. I had a breast pump and a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return to the backseat of my car. I had recently opted out. I put that in quotes. Um, air quotes of the traditional workforce because um, I thought it would be easier to start my own law firm. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a client contract in my lap with a pen that was sort of stabbing me in the uh, vagina as I would uh, hit hit um, the brakes as I was racing to pick my older son, um, Zach, up from his toddler transition program. In the midst of that chaos, which reminds me a lot of how I think a lot of women are feeling right now, actually, um, in this pandemic. Uh, Seth, my husband, decided to send me a text that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And as you know from living in, in California, I mean, we, we don't take traffic lightly here. So that's right. I actually had to pull over. Um, I had to pull over and start crying. Um, and it was a hard day, but I remember thinking to myself, I used to be able to manage employee teams um, because I'm a lawyer, I'm a mediator, um, and I was working uh, before that in the corporate world. I used to be able to manage employee teams, but now I'm so overwhelmed. I'm in a place where I can't even manage a grocery list. Yeah. And I think even more importantly than that, I didn't have the marriage career combo I thought I would have. Um, and I thought to myself, how did this happen to me where I became the default or as I call in fair play, the she fault for literally every single household right. and domestic task for my family. How come you didn't but get that? This? Happened Why didn't you do that? You know? Right. Well, I think, for me, it was also that I came from a single mother household and um, I had watched my mom try to do it all and helped her with her eviction notices and late utility bills. And I had vowed that I would have an equal partner. Yeah. And this is where I ended up um, on the side of the road crying over off-season blueberries because I was expected to be the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. That, that's where I ended up. <laughs> I'd be like, get your own damn blueberries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I ended up saying. But um, I thought my marriage was sort of going to collapse over it. Yeah. Wow. And then you decide to write a book from this. Well, I became curious. I think I became really curious about what was happening to me. Because as I said, I vowed that I was going to have an equal partner in life. We had, I'm a lawyer. I'm a mediator. And I work with um, high net worth families on their family businesses and their family foundations. And so what that means is I sort of look like the HBO show Succession. Um, <laughs> if, you, if your listeners watch that show, I, um, you should feel bad for me because those are my clients. But I work with really highly complex family issues. I, I help families communicate on really highly complex issues. 
And I was surprised that I couldn't use my own voice in my marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than passive aggressive crying on the side of the road or saying, get your own freaking blueberries or um, nothing was changing. I felt very stuck. And so I was confused. And it turns out that um, the she fault has a name. Uh, So I guess, you know, I had not known this, even though I consider myself a, a pretty woke feminist, but we've been writing about these issues for 100 years and we call it uh, emotional labor. We call it the mental load. Um, we call it, uh, my favorite is invisible work. Mm. Because um, I like that. I saw that. Yeah, there, there's, there's work to do this, right? And also, what I liked about it was there's a modicum of a solution. If it's invisible, then all you need to do is make it visible and then you can start solving the problem. Yeah. That, that's sort of where I was um, after that day, was just this curiosity um, in understanding what, what was this invisible work and why was it all falling on me? And it's so interesting how you talk about how you could do a great job managing clients and different relationships at work, but you know, coming from growing up with your mom who was single, I went through the same thing, we don't really understand m- communication, marriage, at least I didn't. No. And it's totally a new world. Like what, what is this? And you can be great at your job, but missing out on something. Well, I tell my kids that all the time. The two things that I can teach them in their homeschool, because I'm not going to do a color coded rainbow schedule, (laughs) um, especially not now, but what I can teach them is executive function, how to complete a task from start to finish, which is what fair play is ultimately about. But I can also teach them how to communicate because I didn't learn that. We're all, um, we're never taught that. Ironically, even at Harvard Law School, um, I was not taught to communicate. I had to seek out extra work to figure out how to communicate, how to read books on communication and conversations. It's just not anything we ever learned. We should just have a communications 101 class. And by that, I don't mean just radio communications, which is what you do for a living. I mean, actually interpersonal communication. I agree. So many women especially say to me that they use their voice at work, they use their voice with their kids, they use their voice with their, um, you know, even their, uh, their Mahjong group, but, mm-hmm. but it's very hard when it comes to their partners. They often will walk away or say, I might as well just do it myself in the time it takes me to tell him what to do or to remind him sure. in a hetero cisgender relationship what to do. Um, a lot of people are resigning uh, themselves to having to feeling like to have it all, they have to do it all. Well, and that's burnout, you know, and you want people to take some initiative in your house and see what you're doing because you're doing so much. hundred percent. I think for me, it was saying to myself, um, what should I do? So I did what every, uh, you know, type A woman would probably do when they um, are afraid to communicate about uh, to the directly to their partner. I went to my friends and I asked them when I started to learn about invisible work, what is it that you do that takes more than two minutes of your time that may be invisible to your partner? Mm-hmm. And that I came up with, um, took me nine months, but I ended up with the, you know, S I do um, spreadsheet that was um, 98 tabs long. Whoa. Uh, 98 tab Excel <laughs> spreadsheet with over 2000 items of invisible work. So, you know, there were normal things in there like uh, making school lunches, filling out the school forms. Um, 
there, but, but what was so fun about crowdsourcing this with other women was women I didn't even know started weighing in on this um, Excel sheet that was being sort of spread around to different communities. And so I would have people call me up or text me saying, I got your spreadsheet. Um, you don't have Elf on the Shelf on here. That's <laughs> two hours, you know, two hours times 20 nights or you know, an hour times 20 nights. Um, you don't have Girl Scout cookies ordering in sales. That's five hours. Um, you forgot sunscreen. Um, yes, it's only two minutes to apply, but you forgot the 30 minutes for the chase. And so all of a sudden, um, it was this beautiful communal effort yes. to quantify what we were doing in the home. And it really sustained me for, for nine months, that spreadsheet. And then one day I get the courage to send it off to Seth again in my pre-fair play world, which I send it to him, the 19 million megabyte spreadsheet Whoa. with just the subject line, can't wait to discuss. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can expect um, from, you know, taking no learnings for what I do with Just my day job. Can't, yeah, can't wait to discuss. Um, Seth sent me just one emoji back, Jeannie. I, all I got was the right. sad. Of course you did. Covering its eyes. And I think that day, that's what I realized was on this journey that lists alone don't work. Even though I made the best list of all time, lists alone don't work, but, um, but systems do. And so that day I said to myself, either I'm going to resign myself to do it all and lose myself in the process, or I can get my butt in gear and become my own client. And so I decided to become my own client and develop a system, a system for domestic rebalance that I knew so many of us uh, needed. So when you set out to do the spreadsheet, did you actually have in mind that this, this would turn into a book? Never, never in a million years. I mean, it's in the ultimate never. research project. It's like qualitative research right there. I became a student, uh, a student again of the gender division of labor. And yeah. it became my passion and purpose um, to share my learnings with the world. And I call that in fair play, my unicorn space because like the um, mythical equine, it's gorgeous and creative and beautiful and makes you feel whole inside and it's you, but it, for women, it doesn't exist. Right. Um, especially after kids, right? We're, we're time for ourselves and to share ourselves with the world often gets lost in our identities as being a mother, a sister, a worker, a partner. Um, but I, it was very subversive to say, I'm gonna spend time for no pay on a weekend while you said take the kids so I can read an article called the mental load, you know, so, but I did it. It took me, it took me um, eight years. Wow. Um, but, but I really wanted to design a system that would help my own marriage, but I didn't want it to just be my own personal story because I think that that can be alienating and boring. And so I decided to go out and test um, these concepts. And that's what took me so long was getting um, over 500 interviews with men and women that mirrored the U.S. Census. That took, that took a long time, <laughs> but it was great because then I got to my favorite chapter was the top 13 mistakes couples make and the fair play fix. I mean, how would I get to know how to start helping people fix the mistakes they're making if I didn't get to go out there and see what people were actually doing? Sure. I feel like people can get passive aggressive when things aren't done. They get defensive. They're like, let me just do it myself. Mm -hmm. um, we get so angry 
because no one, as I said, takes any initiative. And then we're burnt out and, and we're exhausted and everybody wonders in our household, why are they so cranky? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what's, why is mom you know, on a rant again? Yeah. I call that resentometer number 10. <laughs> I was obviously at resentometer because I, I, you know, I, I look at Us Weekly sometimes, you know, and I, I look at their buzzometer, like how many bees is it a buzz number one? Is it buzz three Bs? Like it, to me, it's a resentometer. Right. How, how, how resentful are you? Are you holding that stick and you're pushing, you know, throwing it down like in a carnival ride and it's going all the way up to the top and dinging? Mm-hmm. That's sort of where I was. I was at 10 where um, I was so stuck and confused. And I think a lot of women now are reporting to me things. Like I did a survey recently and this is a very similar um, very common response. Can someone please explain how to homeschool the kids, take care of all the meals, do all the shopping, fill out the school forms, and also work full time from home and still be productive and responsive and not lose my sanity? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't want women to live like this anymore. Right. And it starts with us sharing our stories. Um, thank you for being a cultural warrior with me and allowing me to be here to share our stories, to say we are not alone. This is not inevitable, this is evitable. Um, It's a society that's been based on the backs of the unpaid work of women um, since the industrial revolution. And we have to change it. We have to invite men into the home, into the invisible work of the home. Um, Otherwise we are gonna burn out. We will literally die of decision fatigue. Yeah. Have you seen that video online where this man interviews these people and they don't know what position they're being interviewed for? And at first it starts off positively, like you'll be able to work from home and everybody's like, great. And then have you seen this? And then he starts saying things like, um, what did he say? Um, It'll be 24 (laughs) seven. And and the end is, and you will not get paid. They're like, why would I do this? Do you know what job this is? It's a mother. Absolutely. And, and I were, think the yeah. more we talk about how hard that is, um, the more we can, you know, I think what was so interesting was a lot of women would say to me as I was interviewing them, well, I'm supposed to be doing this out of love. Like, why would I, you know, tell you how the time it takes me? Why would we measure the time? I said, this is not about scorekeeping. So what it was, was this was, so this became a core finding of fair play. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about communication. How do you start having these conversations? Um, but the number one thing I saw was um, that the home presents really small. So um, a lot of people think that their relationships are ending over. One man told me his marriage was ending over a glue stick. This man <laughs> in White Plains, New York, told me that his marriage is ending over a glue stick. My marriage was in trouble over off-season blueberries. So the problem is that the home presents really small, but this is not the small details that are creating the biggest problems. As a mediator, I'm often taught, right? The presenting problem is never the real problem. So what was it that day? It wasn't about the blueberries, but what I realized it was, and this is came after the 500 interviews, the core finding of fair play is that as a society, men, women, and society, we, we, we view and we value men's time as finite, like diamonds. And we treat and we value women's time as infinite, like sand. Yeah. Now that sounds very esoteric. So what do I mean by that? Well, we know that women's time is not valued in the workplace because for the same job, 
we're paid 80 cents on the dollar. And if you look at women of color, it's worse. It's 60 cents on the dollar for every um, dollar a white man will make. But what was strange to me was how often it was happening in the home and it was women. It was women giving me what I call these toxic time messages, guarding their partner's time and saying that theirs was invaluable with things like, well, of course I'm the one who picks up the call from the school because my husband makes more money than me. Okay, well, so that means because I chose philanthropy and my husband chose private equity that I'm now relegated to doing the invisible work of our home forever. That's a losing argument. Right. Other women said to me, well, um, I do all the extra work because um, I'm wired differently. You know, our mother's superpower is our multitasking abilities. So for that one, I went to um, the top neuroscientist, uh, one of the top neuroscientists in the country who I have access to because of my job. And I asked him, are women better multitaskers? Are we wired differently for care? And actually that was the only other day that I cried other than the blueberries day in this journey. When he said to me, imagine Eve, we men could convince you women that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for my life and career. So I cried that day in his office. I think he probably thought I was not in. <laughs> <It's sad>. um, <laughs> he was just all the way to it. I just started sobbing because he took away every layer of this armor I'd had. I'm a better multitasker. It's my superpower. Right. No. Society no. has told me I'm better wiping ass and doing dishes because this is better for, for men. And finally, as what I said to you before and what you said back to me was, you know, in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. Um, and these still happen in same-sex relationships too, these, these gendered patterns, ironically. Um, and it's because they're so ingrained, these heterosis gender normative um, patterns. Um, for that one, I went to my good friend, Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral economist um, and a really smart man around time. He has a Wall Street Journal column. And I said, is it a good argument for women to say in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I should do it myself? He said, it's the worst argument he's ever heard for women. Right. Because wiping the asses and doing the dishes takes time. Yeah. Away from things like interviewing people for your radio show. Right. It takes time away from me writing my book. It takes time away from us going out for drinks for work. Or you and alone to exercise. Exactly. Like you said, burnout. Your self-care. Yeah. Your self-care, which, which people, women are now saying, especially in the pandemic, the research shows women are saying if they get self-care, it's at the expense, not of their kids, not of their partners, um, not out of the housework, not out, not asking other people to do more. It's at the expense of their sleep. Ugh, that's terrible. terrible. Right. Cause we need sleep. We really need sleep. We need sleep um, we're more doing than we too need much. sanitizer. Uh, we're, we're not, I don't think we're good at delegating at times. We want to take it on and do so much. And yes, I'm generalizing, but a lot of times if your kid comes home and says, I'm so tired, can you make me something to eat? It's probably rare you're going to say no. Even if you thought five minutes ago, I'm falling from my feet, I want to go to sleep. Absolutely, but that's it, right? We are, what would happen to your internal self if you didn't make your child something to eat? Well, that's where guilt and shame kicks in. <laughs> exactly, right? So we would start thinking and telling ourselves stories about ourselves. Oh my God, he's sitting down there. He's going to be starving. When he gets starving, um, he can't do his homework. I'm a bad mother. It'll just take me five minutes. I can interrupt my writing and go back out and make the sandwich. It's not a big deal. 
But those five minutes multiplied by five minutes, multiplied by five minutes, multiplied by five minutes over the course of a decade, two decades of um, caretaking is why 43% um, of us at some point take a career detour. Yeah. It's why women are twice as likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders. It's why um, so many women say to me that they've lost their identity after kids, that they don't even know what they would go back to when I ask them, what makes you proud of yourself? Um, what gives you pride in yourself? Oh, being a mother. No, that's a role. Right. Um, I keep the house together. That's a personal assistant. What, what gives you pride in, in you? Well, I wouldn't even know anymore. Um, that, that's the cost yeah. of, of thinking that having it all means doing it all or not delegating. You know, and, what's the worst, excuse me, I have to interject. No, I was going to say, we need to help each other. We well, have the, to help each other. Right. And I want to say to add to that, the worst is when your kids perhaps are at a phase where they don't respect you. They're not listening. You're butting heads with them. You're trying to take care of yourself, your house, your relationship, and you feel like you're crumbling. Well, especially in that time, this is the, mo the most important advice I could say to your listeners is that you have to give yourself permission to be unavailable. Oh, yes. It is Love it. the most important thing you can do for yourself. And what I mean by that is I don't like in the beginning of the quarantine, I started sticking post-its on my chest that just said unavailable, meaning you may have to see me now because we're in the same space, but I am not available to you. Yeah. And I, and then what I would do is I would go deeper with my kids, especially and tell them the why it is so much better if I'm not available to you, yeah. because like I said to you before, the one thing I can teach you is, and this is where we started the interview with is I talked to you about communication, but what I also tell my kids is that one of the most important things to invest in is your executive function, the part of your brain that teaches you how to do something from curiosity to completion. Because otherwise, your entire life is going to be an unfulfilled dream. Right. Completion is very, very important. And if I step in and make myself available to you at all times, I'm helping you to that completion. And you can do it yourself. It, it is terrible. Like, you could be sitting writing, and all of a sudden, your kid says, Mommy, I need. And you don't say, one second, I need 10 minutes or whatever. And you just constantly are jumping to put out fires. It is for my second book, I'm looking into happiness, a lot of happiness research. And there's a lot of different types of positive psychology and gratitude, but what I'm really interested in is flow and what the optimal experience. Yeah. And so if you think that life, um, I look at optimal experiences, what I call unicorn space, um, the space to have these optimal experiences, whether it's dance or crocheting or baking pies or interviewing guests, um, that space, our unicorn space, um, really needs to be uninterrupted. That uninterrupted attention for something you love is linked to your longevity. It's linked to your mental health outcomes. Right. So what's the opposite of that? The exact op op opposite of an optimal experience is children. <laughs> it's true. It is, it's, that's <laughs> it. So, so in my philosophy, really children do not make you happy. They're not, they were actually happiness interrupters. Um, and so... It, that gets back to the idea of, of carving out that permission to be unavailable, whether it's in your car, I don't care if you have to drive off and, and um, hide there to, to write or crochet or to, yes. um, you know, or go to Blick with a, a mask on and browse uh, paintbrushes now, but we, we have to be unavailable and it's going to benefit our, 
partners. It's going to benefit our kids. It reminds me of when I started dating my husband. I would never text him back right away. Yeah. I would always wait a day. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of the fun was the unavailability. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's great advice. Years ago, I would take a class at night when my kids were little and it would just be my night, my Wednesday to go study screenwriting or whatever. And I actually had a therapist say to me one time, um, well, you have to be careful. You're not being selfish. And I'm thinking, oh my God. self-care <laughs> is yes. not selfish. Self-care. Leave that therapist. Oh my God. That's, oh, I did. A, good. Okay. I call that, that type of person is what I call the C-I-Y-O-O, which is complicit in your own oppression. That person is complicit in their own oppression. Yeah, that's selfish. I believe 100% what you're saying. If you're not good to yourself and you don't feel good and take care of you, it won't spill over in positive ways to your other people. Yeah. I mean, that's the oxygen max analogy that I think we all hear, but we think is a cliche. Um, There's literally no, there's nothing you can give others if your bucket is not full. Yes. Um, so whatever, you know, those, those cliched analyses, which are the filling your bucket or the oxygen mask, they're, they're not cliches. They're actually um, truths. They may be said in a cliched way, but I think um, too many of us have, I think now mistaken real true self-care for what I call commodified wellness. Um, the New York Times had an article on commodified wellness, this idea that, you know, somehow you need to dye your hair or get a CBD oil pedicure. Um, I'm not talking about spending money. Right. Just talking about, and I'm not talking about beauty because that's a whole industry and a whole other interview we could do on the beauty industry, but it's really just about that unavailability, whether it's the sitting down with a pen and starting to write in a journal, or it's, you know, walking on the beach with your dog, but that unpaid self-care that um, taking a walk around your block. Yes. Changing up your environment. Um, especially that, now. Especially now. And that's what I call the happiness trio. I talk about that in Fair Play a lot. It's what, when I ask women and men what they would do with an hour of found time, um, if it had to be for themselves, because often women would go back to their roles that they would do laundry or clean the house. I said, no, no, no. No. No, oh. no, for you. <laughs> um, it always broke down to the happiness trio, which was three things. Either real self-care, like we talked about, um, doing your dance class at night, carving out that night, which I love that you did. Um, or it was adult friendships. It was taking a walk with my best friend, zooming, zooming with my close friend from college, or it was unicorn space. Yeah. It was um, doing my radio show. It was, I'm writing my book. It was, I'm crocheting Harry Potter dolls. This one amazing woman, Ashley from Nebraska is crocheting Harry Potter dolls. And so I reached out to her because she keeps sending me pictures of her unicorn space because she feels like uh, Fairplay inspired her to start again, to crochet again. Um, so, you know, whatever it is. I love it. Whatever it makes you, you. Where can people find out more about you? They can find out more about me. You can always follow me on Instagram at Fairplay Life um, or Eve Rodsky. And um, I'd say that's probably the best place because um, my whole team, we answer DMs. We take any questions. And we want to just be here for other women to say that you have permission to be interested in your own life. And, um, and we all do. And the more we can be spiritual friends and help each other do that, um, the better, the better world we'll have. Definitely. Well, congratulations on your book. Thank you for interviewing me. Fantastic. You know, conversation about it. Very inspiring. Just what people need right now.
Well, thank you.